Welcome to the His Light and Life podcast with your host, Mark, who will be your guide to enhance, deepen, and enrich your Christian life. To turn your focus away from just getting by to walking with God in His light and life. Welcome back to His Light and Life. Um, one of the things that I've done in this podcast is I've tried to steer, I've tried to steer clear. Um, I know that my, I know that my listener, um, may not have a lot of, um, uh, you know, deep biblical study or training and that's fine. That's completely fine. Um, the people who know me personally know that I have for several years now, um, held to this very, uh, a very strong belief that God is going to do something here in the last days that is um, unlike anything that he's ever done before. And this, uh, that started, I'm just going to do this by way of an introduction. That started as I began to, uh, years ago, many years ago, study revivals. And I've studied revivals, moves of the spirit, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. There's been great moves of the Spirit, and there's been great moves of the Spirit that were handled very poorly, and uh, revival is messy. Revival is messy business. Um, moves of the Spirit are messy, and uh, they immediately, uh, they, they have a, an immediate reaction from the law of sin and death, and the first vehicle that that comes through, unfortunately, is the church itself. The world, by and large, is <laughs> the world, by and large, has completely missed most revivals. They happened, and they didn't even know about them. Um, so this this idea that is common amongst believers that you know the the non-believer is just sort of you know he's always on the lookout and he's always got his he's always got his weapons ready to you know to confront you know this big bad god in the sky and anything that he's doing significantly through his people. Um, that is not true. That is not how it happens. Revivals are invariably opposed by the current religious themes of the day. Uh, the party in power is the greatest opponent of the new party coming to power. <laughs> That's not going to change in the next one. And uh, But I, as I began to study these things, I began to realize, well, you know, at the very end, I mean, there has to be a group of people that have a very, very short period of time. They have a very short window that God is going to do something through a group of people right at the very end that he hadn't done or before in any other group. And uh, that's true. But but I, the way I pieced it together, I didn't piece it together, the way it was pieced together for me uh, was very interesting. And it made me deal and face with a, a bunch of serious questions. Having been involved in street evangelism and in uh, moves of the spirit and my time studying moves of the spirit, I realized that um, what had been the norm to that point and the purpose of revivals in the past couldn't apply to the final revival. It couldn't apply to an end time move of the spirit. And it couldn't apply to it for a couple of very specific reasons. And the first one, the, the biggest one, is they simply wouldn't have enough time. There wouldn't be enough time. 
In the past, if anyone has spent some time looking at revivals, they generally follow a pretty, well, hopefully, a fairly similar, uh, um, simple plan that God begins to pour out his spirit on a group of people. And that group of people, uh, there's, there's a lot of events that will take place and happen around there. But the primary one and the primary objective of every revival is to do two things. It's to stir up and encourage the believers in that area. And an outpouring, there's always an accompaniment of evangelism that, with it. So you're going to have a lot of people that are going to get stirred up and rededicated, refired up in the things of God. And then at the same time, you're going to have an influx of new people into the church. And the first, the first challenge that emerges, uh, and I saw this, I've witnessed this firsthand, is, you know, it start, you start off in a, in a tiny little church someplace and all of a sudden God starts moving. People start to travel in from all over the place. And then the building's too small. So then you get a bigger building. And it continues on. And then you get a bigger building and you get a bigger building. And uh, you, you move from tent to tent. And, they, you know, they, the, the pegs on your tent and the tent itself get stretched. And then you're faced with the issue of, okay, well, we have to train now. Let's, let's set up a system of discipling the people who've come into this and the people who are getting saved, who really don't know anything. And you start to counsel them and lead and direct them in the very same way in the early church. Thank goodness. The Holy Spirit um, did this through uh, the epistles of Paul primarily. That's what they were. There was a great move of the spirit in Ephesus and God, you know, was moving and people were getting saved and God was increasing their numbers daily and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the interactions, the normalty, the normalcy of day-to-day -day life began to affect them, and they started to have questions. The human aspect and development was present, and they started to have questions about, well, okay, well, should, is this okay? Is that okay? Should we do this? Should we do that? And, uh, the, you know, this guy's fighting with this guy, and he's saying that it's this, and he's the other guy's saying it's the other thing. I'm of a, I'm a Cephas. I'm of Apollos. I'm, you know... <laughs> I'm of Paul, and uh, so Paul corrected these by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Different churches had different problems that emerged, and the Holy Spirit inspired the disciples to write epistles there to those places and, um, and to deal with and alleviate some of those concerns, issues, solve problems, whatever the case was. Reveal the will of God. That's really all it is. Reveal the will of God to his children. Um... And without following that back too far, I uh, just sort of, my mind just ran off to about five places that, that, that led up to that. But before, before without, without getting into any of the heavy details, just that's just the course that it normally goes through. Now, with the final move of the Spirit, something I began to realize as I studied these moves over the years, um that there's, you know, there, there has to be the, you know, the, the revival, you know, under Edwards and, and Whitfield and Finney's revivals and Billy Graham's crusades and early century Billy Sunday. There was a whole bunch of them over in Europe. There was the Welsh revival and there's been, you know, there's been good. And like I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly, there's been effects and problems with all of them. And there's revivals going on around the world right now, incredible revivals that we don't even hear about. 
And, but I began to realize that there had to be a final revival. There had to be a final move of the Spirit. And that move of the Spirit would be very, very short. And that it would cover an evangelism of every age. By every age, I mean every age group. That there would be young people that would be saved, that there would be middle-aged people that would be saved, there would be elderly, older people that would be saved. And anyone who's ever looked at the statistics of um, revivals and people who get saved then, or just go to your church on Sunday and ask for a show of hands, you're going to find out that most of the people who are genuinely born again got born again under age 25. A lot of them, a lot, most of them, a lot younger than that. So, um, if that's true, and it is, you're not going to have the time. So, God is going to harvest a generation of people, but he isn't going to have the time that normally is involved in their development and growth in Christ. They're not just simply not going to. I mean, if you really honestly follow the timeline... I hold to the position that somebody can get born again one second before the rapture occurs, and probably will. And there may be many. Right? That's how a harvest works. I grew up, you know, all of my uncles were farmers. I grew up in a city, but I spent every weekend on a farm. I can remember when they were pour, they were pulling in the corn. Yeah, they would be... You know, right up until the moment, you know, that, that you know, <laughs> my aunt called everybody in for dinner. There was, there was, you know, that machine, the column, whatever it's called, I don't the, the harvester. It was pulling up right to the last minute. It was pulling corn out of the field. And I believe that that's how it'll be as well. Now, I say all that to say this, that there's a training there there's an equipping that what usually occurs that follows revivals um and that's designed to teach and train in a follow-up process those who've gotten saved in the same way that paul's epistles were a follow-up they were a training program for the people that were getting saved in those churches right and if you and if that holds true and it does then you're going to have to ask yourself this question. Well, there isn't going to be time. There isn't going to be time for that training. And there isn't going to be time for that follow-up. So two things have to happen. First of all, there has to be a group of young people that are here right now who already are saved. And God is going to use them powerfully in evangelism. And I believe that. I believe that the final move of the Spirit is going to be the global, and it's going to be one of the most powerful moves of the Spirit that ever occurred. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And two things are going to happen at the same time. These people are going to be rooted and grounded in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to be able to operate and move and manifest very, very powerfully in the things of God. Now, what I mean by that is there's not going to be <clears throat> the normal process has been a stop and a start, a stop and a start, a stop and a start in the children of God. And, and well, I mean, <laughs> you can go to a lot of churches today and you can see what stop looks like. <laughs> okay? It's stopped. I, 
but praise God for them. I love the body of Christ. You're not going to hear me say anything disparagingly about them. And some of them, their foot has been on the brake for a long time, and that isn't going to change, okay? But there's going to be a group of people that are going to be moved very, very quickly through what I call the Exodus story and their transition from Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land in ministry is going to happen very, very quickly. It's going to happen very quickly. And how God accomplishes that is not from them sitting for 20 years in a church and listening to sermons and piecing this with this with this with this, but hearing somebody who has pieced those things together share them in a very, very quick and simple and concise way. And that, by way of an introduction, is basically my podcast in a nutshell. That's the sole motivation that I have for doing the podcast. That what God has been using me for for years on an individual basis of simply bringing me children that he wanted It was like uh, he would bring me people and I would unhook them and off they would go free. But that happened on an individual level. It happened on a very basic level. And that can't be what happens in the days that are coming because we don't have enough time. The acceleration of the events, the acceleration of the times has necessitated... A difference, and let's face it, there always and forever has to be a difference in the church as we know it because the times are going to so radically change. So with that said, I want to read a little portion of scripture here that is um, pivotal, pivotal to my understanding and will be pivotal to your understanding in the relationship of what I call, you know, being freed from the law. And by the law in this scripture, you have to understand that it has a broader sense than just the Mosaic law, okay? Anything that you feel that when you're doing that thing, you're closer to God, or anything that you feel that when you're not doing something, you're farther from him, that's a law, okay? The law of sin and death is is seriously activated, in the presence of the Mosaic Law. If the Mosaic Law, if you are a person uh, who has the Mosaic Law as the foundation or the core of your life, you'll receive an opposition from the Law of Sin and Death like you can't even imagine. And the Lord knew that. The Father God knew that. When the Jews were given the Law, they were warned their warning was very, very clear that if you keep, if you keep the words of the law of this book, if you, you know, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in, blessed coming out, blessed getting up, blessed everything. You'll be blessed, blessed, blessed. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. Because God will be with them. He would be their protection there. And really, what you're dealing with is a position, creating an environment, a landing pad, if you will, that God's presence can be there. And when God's presence is there, you're free. Right? You're free. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That means the power of the blood of Jesus Christ protects you 
from all sin, keeps you in freedom and liberty in life. Right? The name of this podcast is His Light and Life. You want to talk about some, Mark, what do you mean His Light and Life? His Light and Life is walking in the light and you'll be walking in His life and you will be covered in the blood of Jesus. Not because you said it. Because you're free behind closed doors. That there's no sin and iniquity in your life. And you will have fellowship with Him if we walk. If, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's not talking about salvation. It's, it's not talking about salvation. Salvation is a moment in time when you pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Salvation is like getting on a subway at one stop and getting off in another stop. You're in a new stop, but you're still you. Walking in the light as he is in the light is how you behave when you get off the subway at the second stop. Okay. And you can go back up the ramp and into the city and you're there by yourself or you're there covered in the blood of Jesus in fellowship with him. His protection is with you. His, his, his presence is with you. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Your mind will be clear. Your heart will be forgiving. You'll be walking in mercy and truth. You'll be focused on the things of God. The cares of this life will fall off of you. You will know that the things that man is pursuing are temporal pursuits. They're subject to change without notice and without warning. One day you're up, the next day you're down. The emotional roller coaster of Adam is intolerable. And it's just it just creates misery. And it's all flesh. It's trust in self. So now with that said, so you, you see that God wasn't saying, I'm going to bless you if you do this as an active thing, and I'm going to curse you if you don't as an active thing. The curse is there. The blessing's available. How is the blessing available? That was their version of walking in the light. That was the Old Testament of walking in the light. If you hearken unto the voice of the Lord and keep his commandments... Obey his precepts and ordinances. All of these blessings will come upon you because they're there, because he's there. The light's there. Love's there. His presence is there. His goodness is there. His mercy is there. His joyness is there. His joy is there. And guess what isn't there? The law of sin and death. It's kept at bay. It's like the vipers outside around the camp and in the tabernacle, or in the children of Israel. The vipers all around the camp. As soon as the glory lifted off them, boom, into the camp they came and they all got bit. That's what we're talking about. So when you think about it in this sense, the law is active, activates. Now, the Jewish law activates very specifically the law of sin and death. Okay? Because that's God's safety protocol. God's safety protocol is an evil force that is here that opposes any form of life. Any form of life. It brings everything from, from life to death. That's why it's called the law of sin and death. Now, God made a provision, as I said in the Old Testament, of walking in the light. If you walk with his presence, you're protected and kept from the law of sin and death. Okay? If you don't, now the law of sin and death has access. It isn't that God gives it access. It, it, it has full liberty and reign here now. It was released into the earth when Lucifer fell. Okay? So for the Christian, 
So now I said there's the law, the law of sin and death is activated specifically against the Jewish people. And it's, acted, it's activated against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Because they both contain the word of God. This is why you see a very strange event happen in history. And we will get to Galatians here. Um, a very strange event happened in history when the early church came under heavy persecution in Jerusalem. But not just that. The Jewish people came under persecution at the same time. And as I said before, if Satan had been behind that, he would have left the Jews alone and just persecuted the church. Right? Because he would have seen and known that the church was the flower that had come off the branches, off the trunk, which was Judaism. So by leaving Judaism alone, it would have created an incredible amount of confusion. It would have created an incredible amount of stress. We can see that in the book of the Hebrews, that the children of, in the book of Hebrews, the, the children of God in that time, all of their leadership had been killed. All their pastors had been killed. All of the elders had been killed. And these people, the letter of the Hebrew Christians, this, these people were tempted to go back to the law. They were tempted to go back to what they knew. Now, that would have happened very, very powerfully if God, if the devil if it was behind it, he would have left Judaism alone and simply attacked the church. But as I said, persecution broke out against both of them. You follow it through. The Jews are still persecuted today. It doesn't matter where they go. It doesn't matter where they go. They're persecuted. They're hunted down. Because they have the law. And the law of sin and death, though not a person, is activated against the law. Okay? And the church had the liberty and life in Christ, and it was persecuted as well. So you see both persecutions taking place in Jerusalem, in and around that area, at the same time. Which, from a strategic standpoint, makes absolutely no sense. And that's why you know that what is behind it is not intending on making sense. The law of sin and death is not a person and it doesn't care. It's not trying to win a war. It simply opposes, uh, it simply provides a resistance and an opposition to anywhere the word of the Lord comes forth. Whether it comes forth out of the Old Testament through the Jewish people or whether it comes forth through the New Testament out of the children of God, the law of sin and death is there. And the law of sin and death will oppose it. Okay? We're going to continue right on here in our next podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today on His Light and Life. As we look at the liberty and freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to His Light and Life. Do you have questions or want to speak with Mark? Please reach out using the email in the description. We'll see you next time on His Light and Life. Thank you.